Hey, it's Scotty from Zenium Real Wealth. This webinar this evening is our August 2019 special guest webinar and our guest for this evening is Rachel Hambling. She's a development site acquisition specialist. God, that's a mouthful. So Rachel is gonna to talk to us about development sites, finding development sites, what she does to find development sites. She's gonna give us some of her top tools that she uses. They're online tools that help her decide very quickly whether a development site is any good to even take any further. She's gonna give us some tips on how to talk to owners of, and therefore the sellers of development sites. She's gonna give us some of those tragic stories that we all wanna hear of what's done, what's worked and what hasn't worked. She's got stories in a plenty. So sit back and enjoy, because tonight you're gonna to learn from Rachel, and if you're interested in development sites, this is a must see. So for the next 30 minutes, grab a notepad and a drink and enjoy the information from Rachel Hambling, Development Site Acquisition Specialist. This is Scotty from Zenium Real Wealth. Talk to you soon. All right, the first webinar of every month, we have a special guest, and tonight's special guest is Rachel Hambling. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Scotty. <laughs> so Rachel... Her special talent in life is finding development sites. In fact, she's that good, she calls herself a site acquisition specialist. That's a big <laughs> mouthful, Rachel. So with that in mind, let's have a chat to Rachel tonight on how she got started, how to find good sites, what tools she uses, and then run through some her tricks of the trade. So Rachel, how did you get started in well finding development sites? Well, it's probably, oh, it'll be about seven years now, Scott, and um, I got interested in property development and, and how to build wealth with property, and I just started to um, have a look around and, and find opportunities and, yeah, just sort of built from there. And we got started getting some small sites where we would do some joint ventures and um, put DAs and then we'd flick them and pass them on to other developers. And yeah, so that was sort of the starting point of finding development sites. Okay. And so it, it was it was a bit of a passion for you. I mean, it wasn't just something that you went, oh, I stumbled across. Like it was something that was, had you done other property things before? I'd, I'd done some basic stuff, but I'd always um, had a real passion around property development and, and investing in property. I knew it was a great way to build wealth, um, but I didn't really know much about it. So I started off doing um, Robert Kiyosaki and obviously reading his books and doing his programs online and different things like that. And that sort of got me started. And then yeah. I would just sort of reached out to different groups and other developers and different mentors and sort of went from there. Okay, all right. So was it easy to break into? How did you find your first site? Oh, well, a lot of, <laughs> I won't say a lot of hard work, but just a lot of consistent work. So we'd, found, we'd sort of focused on a particular area that we um, wanted to target. And I always say that as, as a, a good way to, start when you're doing property development or looking for really good sites is is find a couple of areas that you're really interested in and focus on those areas. So become a site or an area expert, they call it. So, right. you know, know the agents in that area, um, you know, look for opportunities, drive around the streets, 
you know, we used to put letters in letterboxes. And actually that was my first site. We actually, um, that site was in Belimba. Yeah. And we sent a letter to the owner and we'd identified that it was a good development site for it. There was a few reasons behind that. And we got a call back from the owner and went and had a meeting. And that's where it went from there. Okay. Okay. So you're really looking, that's off market. I mean, that wasn't at all listed, right? No, that's right. So um, I'd obviously just by going, talking to some mentors and other developers and, and different people who'd been in the property industry and just the way they were doing it, um, finding stuff that was off market was an advantage because you could deal directly with the vendor or you didn't have the competition if it was through an agent and that way we could, um, it was just a bit of an advantage, I suppose, and um, allowed you to be able to create an opportunity with a good price and good terms that suited the vendor. Okay, okay. So what do you look for when you look for sites? Like, I mean, you said that you identified that one was was a good development site. That How did that happen? So I... I think at the time we were looking for particular sizes of sites. So we were looking for anything over 810 square metres. It had to have a certain frontage because in development, if you, you know, you need to have a good frontage to be able to either shift a house or to do a townhouse development. Um, we were looking for sites that didn't have flood overlay, um, you know, sort of good infrastructure near, you know, um, buses or trains or, you know, local shopping centres, those sorts of things, and also sites that were already um, zoned, so zoned LMR so we could do a townhouse or a unit development. Right, okay, okay. And so how did you, like, when you said you're looking for that, I mean, were you just walking the streets or did you use some other tools to, to find that information? Yep, so I've um, always had access to Price Finder and you can use RP data as well. And then what we would do is we would search for um, the particular size of site and in a particular suburb and we'd print a list down and we'd go through those and then we'd trail through PD online checking zoning and overlays and different things like that. So when you're doing site finding, those sorts of tools are really important because they cut a lot of your legwork out, in, you know, instead of... I mean, trailing the streets is great, but you're always going to need those tools to be able right. to, um, you know, I suppose it decreases the time that you spend on searching for the particular sites and knowing whether or not it's even worth looking at. Okay. Okay. So that then leads me to my next question. You know, what makes a good site versus a bad site versus a site that's not a site at all? Yeah, so I would always look for, um, you know, we'd always look for the basic things. And, and we, we always start off with the feasibility, even though we haven't really looked into zoning, uh, not zoning, sorry, into overlays and restrictions and things like that. But we start with the numbers. And if the feasibility stacks, then you go to the next step. So I suppose a good site versus a bad site would be, something that's code accessible. So if it's the right size and you know that you can get a certain amount of townhomes on there, 
and you know uh, the frontage is good and there's no flooding and the sites you know the site doesn't slope you know where the utilities are you know water stormwater um, sewer all those sorts of things then that would make a good site if you didn't have access to sewer or the frontage wasn't wide enough to do a townhouse development but maybe long enough to do a townhouse development so those are the sorts of things that i would look for to determine whether or not the site was um, a good site or not okay okay so that's to me sounds like a whole bunch of looking before you even get to letterbox dropping <laughs> yes yeah. yeah yeah it can be can be um i think once you get quite familiar with your area it does become a lot easier to trail through that but that takes time and hours and effort and experience and you know even for this for the simplicity of knowing how wide a driveway needs to be yeah you know down the side of the character home or what your setbacks need to be or you know if it isn't a character zone how you actually have to have the buildings designed you right. know so there's so many little sort of intricate details that um yeah, and it's usually that sort of work is the tedious sort of stuff. Yeah, okay. Okay, so you've located a, a, a good site with using your tools and looking at the overlays and that sort of thing. So is the next step, what, door knocking, letterbox dropping, or or does it do you approach an agent? Like what's your, what do you do? Well, you could do it a couple of ways. Definitely if you feel confident enough to door knock, I'd say, Go and knock on the doors. I mean, if you if you know through RP Data or Price Finder that the owner lives at home, then I'd be knocking on the door. If it's a rental property, then I'd be sending them a letter, um, and you know, asking them if they're open to uh, discussing a sale. Um, if you didn't have any luck there, I'd approach a, either a site finder or an agent and and get them to go and contact the owner or knock on their door. Yeah. Okay. So you make contact with the owner, and in that first example, you use your first site at um, in was it Brisbane somewhere? You said yeah, um, Belimba. Belimba. Yeah. yeah. So uh, and you'd, you'd letterbox drop for that, and you got a call. So yes. then, then what? You say, hey, I want to buy your house. Yeah. So we just talked to them about um, what their needs were. So why were they selling? And um, it was a it was two sisters and their parents had passed away and that house was left to them in an estate. So they wanted to sell it. They knew it had development potential. Um, they'd sort of been with an agent before but wasn't really happy with how they'd um, marketed it. So we'd talk to them about the fact that we knew developers. So we went and sat down with them, had a meeting, cup of coffee and um, built a relationship with them. And, and that's how we ended up getting a contract on the site. Okay, that's cool. Yep, all right. So you'd be, you would find a lot of sites and you'd send a lot of letters or door knock or whatever, and you'd get a lot of no's, I'm assuming, like, oh, go away, not interested in this sort of mumbo jumbo. Um, you know, about how many sites would you look through? I'm not talking about online, I'm talking about at, at that sort of targeted spot before you got one that was even willing to talk to you then versus one that was actually a decent saleable item at the end. Yeah. So 
for our statistics, it was it was normally a hundred letters, and we would maybe get ten phone calls. Yeah. Um, very rarely would I get someone saying um, no, bugger off. Some of them were just a bit curious and wanted to know more about it, um, which I'd be very willing to just have a chat to them. It was always good practice when you get cold calls from people you don't know. Yeah. Um, but probably maybe three to five of those would be serious sellers. Um, but the process of elimination there was around their price, their terms, and whether or not the site really could be developed. So out of that hundred, you get three or three to five, and then out of that, you get what one, two, at least, yeah, one. I'd one. say one that we okay. would that we would be able to um, put under option or contract, and then um, pass it on to a developer. Okay, so from a hundred down to one. All right, that's good. So that then the next stage, which you just touched on, is is contracting that site. So. If, if you're still not sure of exactly what could be done but you want to tie it up or now that that seller is obviously fairly educated going, oh, well, this is could be development now because you've had that discussion, how do you tie it up so that they don't just go to the agent or do it themselves or what, whatever it is? Yeah. Well, you can do, I mean, there's a couple of things you could do. You could do a heads of agreement. You could do an option agreement. Um, you could sign it up. Uh, with a contract with a rescission clause and make sure you enter into that in the due diligence time so you don't get double stamp duty. Um, there's a few solicitors that are probably, uh, you know, 50-50 on that clause. But, um, yeah. yeah, we we and I think too, like, building a relationship with the owner is really important. So, you know, it's not just about putting the site under contract. It's making them feel comfortable in what you're doing and your confidence level and, and where you're headed and, and communicating with them. You know, if you don't communicate with them, they don't know what you're doing. But I'd always make sure every couple of days I'd be in touch with them, let them know what was happening, where we were up to. Um, and we would normally bring in a developer at that stage. So right. they would end up being the person who would contract the site. Okay. All right. So you sort of, you tie it all up and then because you weren't developing it, you'd have one or two or whatever developers and get the right one and they have the contract with the Yes. The yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So has there been any disaster stories? Oh, disaster stories. Or are you just like that good? <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm just trying to think. Well, I'm sort of thinking not so much through the development because you don't do the development. That's a different no. sort of thing. We yeah. talk about the finding. So what about a site that you had, you know, that was really good, that was great, and then the, the, the seller changed their mind or like is there Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that happens often, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah I think probably um, that, I mean, well, I think the heart or the most challenging is that when you – understand their needs and how they're motivated you find the right buyer for the site so the ultimate buyer and you you know what price they want and what terms they want and then you get your developer and they come in at, at that so exactly what they want and then the owner changes their mind or they get frightened or you know someone gets in their ear and says oh you know it's worth more than that so that happens that happens sometimes and that can be a bit frustrating Right. And are they, is it more likely at that point, is it more likely that people are unsure and get frightened or is it more likely that they get greedy? Which one? Well, if I was put a percentage, I'd say greedy. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But I think, too, that that also is where, as a finder, um, you've got to have evidence to back up the, yeah. the price that they're wanting. Or um, so, you know, be able to show them that, you know, that or less is what people are, um, you know, buying th those types of sites for. So um, I suppose it, it's more around making sure that they understand that the offer that they're being made is a realistic one around the market price. Yep. Yep. No, that's fair. All right. So obviously you've been doing this for quite a number of years now and it's, uh, and I know this, but I'm going to ask the question anyway, it's not just you anymore, is it? So, no. uh, you know, you spread your wings fairly far and wide. I mean, what states do you cover? How many people do you have kind of, I mean, I know they're not all working for you, but in your network, how yeah. big is it? Well, yes, seven years, Scott, it's a long time. Um, yeah, so basically we have um, a multitude of finders um, that are bringing us sites every week. Um, we're constantly in touch with uh, a list of agents that we have on our books. They know we only look at off-market sites, so they never bring me anything other than that. Um, I mean, just a tip too for um, for everybody, be in, like if you are working with agents, be in their face. When they get an off-market site across their desk, you want to be the first person they think about. Yeah. And that's, I think that's where I get a lot of my um, development sites from that are off-market because the agents know that I've got developers that are looking for sites and, you know, that I'll act relatively quickly. So yeah. we're based in Brisbane. We do Brisbane, Sydney, although it's a bit challenging at the moment, but we still do Sydney, Melbourne. We've just moved into Adelaide. So that's in our residential division and our yeah. commercial division is um, Australia-wide and that's our bigger sites like childcare and office and hotels. And I've okay, got so, um, two business development awesome. managers that work for me now and a full-time virtual assistant. So, yeah, it's grown grown pretty pretty fast over that yeah. time, I suppose. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. Well, so we touched earlier on um, one of the first things and I've been, when I look down, I'm actually taking lots of notes here, um, <laughs> is uh, you've got your tools, but you said you start with the FISO. So... Have you got any example of a FISO or something that we could have a look at and, and how you do things? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's go through. Um, I've got one that um, works well and one that doesn't. So right. we'll. Um, I think I've got to go into my sharing options here and look at the materials. Just give me a sec. So, okay. Can you see that, Scott? Yeah, all good. Awesome. All right, I've just got to bring that screen down and I'm going to need to put my glasses on if that's okay. Yeah. There we go. Okay, so this is a site that we did. It's a land subdivision out at um, Logan Reserve in Bays Road. You probably remember this one, Scott. Um, I see so a lot the of owners, sites. Huh? I see a lot of sites. I don't know if I remember it. <laughs> so this was a really good little land subdivision. We were going to get about 82, it says up there in the corner, lots 
from this site. Um, the house on it was very old and, and so we could um, pretty much just demolish that. So the owner wanted three million, as you can see. So um, we put that in and the FISO calculates your stamp duty. And then we always look at the end sale price. So you can see there that um, establishing 82 lots between 400 and 600 square metres, then we were able to get a, I think they were around about 210 at the time. We actually, this was actually a pretty cool site because we already had a buyer for the lots that right. after they'd been developed. So it was almost sort of 82 pre-sales really. Wow. Um, so in the development costs, we um, we try and allow for everything that we know is going to cost us, um, you know, up front. Obviously, there's always contingencies and things you don't know about, but there's legals, there's, um, you know, professional fees for your DA and your BA, application fee for your approvals, demolition, demolition and clearing the site, you know, project management fees, all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So um, all of that's included in your development cost area. And for us, when we run our feasibilities, it's just to find out whether or not the site works to see yeah. whether or not we're going to spend any more time moving forward. Because everyone does their fees different, right? So this is just so you think that the site is okay to take to your developers. Is that right? Yeah, it's just a benchmark. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. all my developers run their own numbers. Yeah. So anyway, so we can see down there it's about a $10 million development cost, including interest, and there's a you know little over 400000 for contingency. Yeah. And then I've got the sheet here because that's not come up properly on the page there, but um, it just basically calculates the total cost of the development plus the land purchase price, so your total cost about $4 million altogether which you can see there on the screen yeah um, we also allow for GST you can't see that but it's um, it is in the feasibility and then the uh, net profit return is 23% okay. so with the pre-sales in place that was a, a, a pretty good risk adverse site for that developer yeah for sure yeah so that that was really that was a that was a good one that one and um, I think the developers, um, the DA's already out on that one, so he's probably in the process of doing the civils as we speak. Okay. So um, just conscious of time, I'll move on to this next one. So um, this one is out at Park Ridge, and this is, sorry, this is a recent one. I'll just close that down. So this is a site that um, on face value, looked like a really good development site. Great size, good frontage, flat block, uh, not too many trees. You know, just the obvious things by looking at it looked like, yeah, this is a really good site. Okay. Um, but at closer look, even after we did the numbers, um, I'll go through some of the some of those things, but basically the owners, um, that 850 was actually not the price that um, they wanted. They wanted a little higher than that. Um, we were going to keep the existing house because it was in a good position and then add on 10 extra blocks. 
but as you can see by the time you scroll down from the resale price of that product and the cost to develop it if you go mm. to the next screen it's only a four percent return mm. so in running those numbers i knew straight away that there's really not nowhere to crawl back from there yeah, and yeah. Even if you probably bought the site for 150000 it still wouldn't be worth developing. So, yeah. And, and in closer look, just even on the site there, the site was covered in um, biodiversity and flood overlay. <laughs> so, yeah, so a bit of a challenging one. But it just shows how a feasibility is such an important tool, like really, really important, and to be able to understand those numbers how they work um, in in knowing, you know, whether or not it's worth spending any time in investigating that site. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Um, all right, so when you see something like that and it comes in at 4%, it just falls off your table and you go to the next one? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you... you you see whether, or you try and see whether or not you can do any more investigating. But yeah, like I said, if it was maybe eighteen percent return, I would, um, you know, I'd maybe check my numbers and really go back and have a look at the resale prices of the end product to see if I'm, you know, not being way too conservative. Um, but yeah, no, this one was, was just way too low. And then checking the overlays as a second look, it was, um, completely, uh, not, a, not a good site, unfortunately. So you talk about 18%, that's a figure that, uh, that's obviously we use as well behind the scenes, but 18% is the cutoff for banks that look at funding. Is that that's what you? Yeah. Well, 20%, yeah. I, I would say 20% and, yeah. um, or some, I mean, so for splitter blocks and sites where you're really in and out of the market in three months, 18% would probably be okay. Yeah. But we try and find land subdivisions and townhouse sites for about 25% return yeah. on investment. Just because if there's a contingency and something goes wrong, you've got a buffer there. For sure, for sure. And do you find many small sites like the splitter blocks and stuff like that? Is that something that you still come across? Yeah, definitely. We, we usually get a couple of splitter blocks every week, but um, yeah. just to make them work, unfortunately. Because yeah. property, property owners have become so savvy in this market that the pricing is... Savvy, greedy, yeah. who knows what they become. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. And so, okay, uh, well, that's that's really good. Thank you for going through those those fizos. And look, as you mentioned, everyone does a fizo differently. Uh, we've got about two or three different ones in our office, so that's fine. Uh, it's just it's it's because it's a bit of a reflection of how you think about things too. It's yeah. not necessarily a right or wrong way, unless of course it's wrong if you don't put all the costs in, then it's just yeah. wrong. Yeah. But um, and the numbers no, never lie, Scott. Yeah, that's right. You don't get caught up on on this on how it's set out is what I'm trying to. Uh, to uh, get across to everyone. Yeah, yeah. Look, we've got, a, we've got a couple of questions here, uh, Rachel. So um, what are overlays? You referred a couple of times to overlays. So, um, you know, what does that mean? So an overlay is a um, restriction on the site that's been imposed by council. So um, we talk about flooding overlay. So in Brisbane City Council, there are 
three different levels of flooding overlay. There's Brisbane River, creek flooding and overland flow. So one of your tools that you would use when you're looking at the sites is PD Online, the interactive mapping. So if you're in Brisbane City Council and you're looking for a site, um, there you'd be able to jump online and you'd be able to check the flood overlay. Okay. Yeah. So that's, okay. that's what an overlay is. It's a, it's a restriction on the site that needs to be addressed in the development um, approval process. So there'd be there's flood and is there's there's I guess what trees and road noise like is what is how many is there? Oh, heaps. Yeah, there's yeah there's there's quite a few. Um, I know with Brisbane City Council and actually Moreton Bay, if you look up the site, they they actually um, online they'll actually give you a list of the overlays that if that are affected on the site. So you don't have to go trail through every one to be able to um, assess whether or not they've got any overlays that you need to address. Yeah, okay. okay. Now I think Scott's just, sorry, um, Jace has just asked me a question um, about the tools, um, whether there's any free tools. So the, the tool that I use that costs money is PD Online. Um, and the free tools I would use are things like, I mean, we always use, all use Google. Um, I mean, even realestate.com. There's um, obviously the council websites are really great and they're, you know, all of that information is free. There's a couple of others that I'm thinking of, but I can't remember the names, but I'd be happy to um, provide those if you like and yeah we can do we got notes i've got notes here i'll send out with yeah. notes one called cityscape i think which is really good too and you can look up development applications or um different things like that so i'll i'll have a look at some of the other ones i've gotten and let you know i reckon neighbors are a good free tool <laughs> well you get a lot of you go and talk to the around the site that you want to do and you talk to them and you get a lot of info yeah. Oh, that's a. I mean, that's a brilliant way to do it. Just if, especially if you're allowed, the owner's giving you permission to turn up on site. You'd yeah. be surprised who's there watching or looking out windows and and stuff. So, and we've sometimes knocked on the neighbour's door just to get a feel for, um, you know, what their th feeling is about development going on. Because yeah. it's always good to know if you're going to put a development application in, if you're going to get cranky neighbours. Have you had, had tomatoes and stuff thrown at you? No. Oh, <laughs> oh you done well then. Yeah. And um, uh, and you talked about sites in Sydney, but you sort of you're not doing much in there now because of the current market for development. But it, it, that's Sydney's an area that you cover for searching. Yeah. So we, at the moment we're doing focusing more on townhomes in Sydney, small unit developments. And then to the other extreme would be hotels. So right. um, we're finding that we can still get some of those sites to work if they're in um, good areas, close to um, facilities and, and good infrastructure. And yeah, and, and, and so those prices are starting to come down for the buy-in, um, but they seem to still be stacking. Yep, okay, that's great. Well, um, there's any more questions? One more question here. We've got in a previous webinar, we presented a small lot 
subdivision do you prefer small developments and why? Oh, that's asked to me. Okay. Well, we do small developments because we're not a big developer and uh, and the small infill sites are, you know, and Rachel can perhaps make some comments on this, is uh, whilst there can be pricey per square metre or per lot, uh, generally speaking, there's less of them. So you have a better ability to sell them out quickly compared to buying a, a 100 or a, a 200 lot subdivision. Um, is that your same take, Rachel? Yeah, and I think too with the, um, especially if you're, you know, within 10 kilometres or even 15 kilometres of, of your central CBD, I think that that does reduce your risk when, when you go to sell at the end. And you're targeting more of an owner-occupier than you are an investor. So you're going to do a nicer product, um, you're going to market it well, and, yeah, you're not selling off maybe 30, trying to sell off 30 townhomes. You've got, you know, maybe a home in the front that you might renovate and sell off, and then you might have two really beautiful, you know, good-sized townhomes in the back, and you'll have no problems on selling that. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's right. And yeah, and we like the small ones for that reason. Between eight and fifteen lots mm. is is a good manageable size. Once we get above twenty, thirty lots, it's it's the same thing, but more. But it's it's the exit strategy that that we're not particularly uh, a fan of being yeah. held with a whole bunch of lots for a long period of time. Yeah. But that doesn't mean there's not people out there that do that. I mean, there's plenty of people. In fact, I met a guy today um, who ironically turned up at my door. He used to live in our house. Uh, like in the 60s, and he just was driving past and says, I have to check it out. Um, he's got 8,000 lots in southeast Queensland in one estate. You know, that's massive. So uh, that's uh, that's a lot of land. He's got a that's few huge. years' worth of sales there, I reckon. <laughs> Can you divide it up, Scott, and send a few my way? Yeah, I don't know. I, I barely got his uh, details. He's going to email me. But, yeah, interesting. What Talk about a coincidence. Yeah, wow. Mark, but, yeah, that's a that's the other extra. Yeah. yeah. But with the smaller, um, well, with those size land subdivisions too, you're in and out of the market relatively quickly. So yeah. you can, you know, gauge your risk and um, especially in the Brisbane market where, it's sort of fairly consistent. So I think that's a really good strategy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. That's why we're there. All right. Well, look, Rachel, thank you very much for your time tonight. I mean, I've taken, you know, a good number of notes and I'll put them out. Uh, and with some of those top tips that you mentioned there and some of those other uh, those sites and things that you, free tools that you use, we'll add them into the notes when we send this out. Thank you very much for joining us. I, I found it very interesting and I can see from our, our uh, viewers there, the comments that have come through, they found it interesting too. Thanks. Um, look, uh, Rachel, we've used Rachel for many years, and as I said, she's found more sites than anybody else I know. So, <laughs> Rachel, thanks for doing that, and thanks for joining us this evening, and we all learnt heaps. Thanks, all right, everyone. That's it from us at Zenium Real Wealth. Hope you got a lot out of this, and until next time, be good. <laughs>